All right, take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Today we enter into chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, pick up in verse 1. Using that pew Bible there in front of you, it's on page 1358, 1358 in the pew Bible. A path or a pathway is defined in these ways through dictionaries. I looked up a path or a pathway is defined as a way or a track laid down for walking or made by continual treading. So it's either been purposefully placed like stepping stones or it has been used enough it's sort of worn its own way through there. Now, you know these examples. A path or a pathway is defined as the course or direction in which a person or thing is moving. Or a path or a pathway can be defined as a course of action or conduct. A path is something that leads from one place to another. You're going, great, I came, I got up early, I came here so that Jeff could tell me that a path leads from one place to another. We're not done yet, okay? But that's what it does. Sometimes paths are called roads, trails, courses, and any number of things. Well, I stopped this week to think about and research some examples of famous pathways. I was watching food TV, and they were doing a show, and they were checking out diners, drive-ins, and dives on Route 66. Now, we've heard of Route 66 before. covers about 2,000 miles through about eight different states in our country. Then I did some reading on the what they call the PCH, or the Pacific Coast Highway. It's California's most beautiful drive from Leggett in the north to San Diego in the south. One a little closer to home that you may have spent time on is the Blue Ridge Parkway, reported to be the most scenic drive in America by some. It's 469 miles long. I read about a cool highway that some of you know about. I didn't know about this. I, I guess I knew that something had to do this, but there's a place called the Overseas Highway. The Overseas Highway is 113 miles of road that used to be a railroad that leads from Miami to Key West. So it is a road that allows you to go from island to island to island to island all the way out there. Sounds pretty cool. I read about one, some of you may have been to, if you spend a lot of time out west, there's a road called Going to the Sun Road. Has anybody ever heard of Going to the Sun Road? Somebody said yes. There's some up there, okay. Going to the Sun Road is a scenic mountain road that traverses through the Rocky Mountains in Montana's Glacier National Park. This road that's closed in the winter for very obvious reasons up there, was built to encourage people to visit national parks. They had a park, people didn't know it was there, people weren't going, so they built a road to lead people to that park. And then, in the vein of Jeff again, and I'm sorry that your pastor thinks this way sometimes, I thought of another famous pathway, the Yellow Brick Road. You remember this road? It began in Munchkin Land, and it was about right here. And then it went right here, 
and then it went right here, and then it gets bigger and bigger. You guys, you've seen the movie. You know what I'm talking about. And it starts in Munchkinland. There is a clear beginning of this road, and there is a clear end to this road, and it's in Oz. And that's when Dorothy and her friends make it that way to go see him. Today, we're going to talk about another pathway in Scripture. And you're going, I've read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I didn't see anything about that. Well, let's see what God has for us together. So let's stand and read from the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, picking up in verse 1, reads as follows. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus... For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testify. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness." Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are, also, who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. If you're a note taker, get your notepad ready, however you want to do this. Today, I want to start and I want to make the final point first. The final point. So I want to make a point toward the end of our scripture and then we're going to go back and then understand that final point more completely. So look, look at verse 12 with me. I'm going to reread verse 12. It says, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Walk toward someone. That is a pathway. And I was reading this and God is so good that he gave me and understanding, he's brought it out to me, and I think that when he brings it out to me, he's desiring that it gets brought out to us. But there's a purpose. There is a pathway here that we're getting ready to talk about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and that pathway leads us, look at verse 12, to the lost, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. This is a pathway, so that's what we need to understand. Paul alludes to a pathway, I believe, all through this scripture, a pathway that will lead us, followers of Christ, directly into the presence of those that are on the outside, those who currently do not know Jesus as their Savior. Look at verse 12. It says, walk. That is an action, a course, a direction that someone is moving in. Do you know that today you're moving Today, you are on a pathway. Actually, not just today, but every day, you are on a pathway. 
You are moving in a direction. Paul is going to challenge us from Scripture to make sure that we're walking properly and to make sure that we're walking in the right direction. And it's interesting, when someone wants to challenge and teach you to walk in the right direction, to walk properly, as this Scripture said, that means that there is an opportunity for us to not walk properly, an opportunity for us to not walk in the right direction. And so I pray that as we spend this next little bit together, that we will allow God to teach us and challenge us about our walk, our pathway. Verse 12 says, it's not just that we're moving and walking, but to those who are outside. God desires us to be on this pathway we're going to talk about because it will lead us to people who need Jesus. Church, we know this to be true. But allow me to overstate this. There are many, many people who do not know Jesus as Savior. And you know many of them. If you stopped right now and you used that call to action on the back and all those lines, and you just started jotting down names of individuals that God lays on your heart that do not know Jesus as their Savior, that would be a great use of that piece of paper today. And so I want to encourage you, if that is something that you're willing to do, then just get that out and have it ready. And if the Lord lays a name on your heart, you write that name down. Because God's got you on a pathway and it might be to that person. Our challenge today is not, are there people on the outside? Our challenge today is not, do we know people who do not know Jesus? We know the answer to that is, yes, there are people who don't know Jesus. And yes, we know people who don't know Jesus. Our challenge today is this, church, if I could just put it to you just as Hard as I can. Do you care? Do you individually, do you as a family, do you as a church, do we care that there are people that do not know Jesus in general that we know in specific? Do you care? You see, because in this life where we're always on a path, where we're always walking properly or improperly, where we're always walking towards something, you're always walking away from something as well. Do you care? Because see, in a world when that happens, you either care that there are people who don't know Jesus or you don't care. And you're going, Jeff, that's pretty harsh. Yeah? It's also pretty true. And so that's where I find myself today, and that's where you find yourself today as we walk into this scripture. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. It's interesting. I was at the bookstore last night, going over here for a second because it's not about that. I was, went to a bookstore last night, Christian Publishers Outlet in Murfreesboro, a dangerous place for me to go. Walk in to get a book, walked out with 16 and one of the books that I got was a marriage book from Charles Haddon Spurgeon and his wife 
and they got married in 1854. And I'm going, oh my goodness, I got to read that. And it was only 98 cents, so you really got to read that. But I'll tell you about that later. But just maybe. But Charles Haddon Spurgeon, this famous preacher, said this about caring about people. He made this quote: "Have you no wish for others to be saved?" Question mark. Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. Charles Haddon Spurgeon could be able to take scripture, and I think it's true, and says that once you come to know Jesus as Savior, then you will doggedly desire for others to come to know Jesus as Savior, and that will be how your life is lived. But if you don't care if somebody else comes to know Jesus or not, Scripture might lead you to believe that there could be a challenge in your heart that you may not know him either. Do you care? Now, the church answer is yes. Yes, we care. That's the church answer. The truthful answer for our lives is determined not by what we say, but by the pathway that we walk according to Scripture. Simple enough, right? So let's talk about that because Paul talks about this pathway, I believe, a lot in these verses leading up. So let's go back to verse 1. You're going, Jeff, you were doing so good. You were on the last verse. I thought we were going to get out of here. Well, I can promise you this. You will get out of here. Just not right this second. God has something for us. Look at verse 1. We're back to it. Paul says, finally, this is not his last point in this book. You could read that as additionally, that Paul is changing his perspective just a little bit of the letter. Finally, which means we need to look back and say, well, if Paul's turning a point, I just couldn't get away. Week one, Paul says he's been talking about your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience and hope. Remember the earthquake from a month ago, believe it or not. Week two, the gospel work is never in vain. Week three, anchor to the word, to fellowship, and to Jesus' return. And then last week, stay faithful. Do not be shaken. Ride your, somebody remembers it. Ride your camel. Thank you. There were three people here last week that are here again today. And I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad to see the rest of you come. But stay faithful. Do not be shaken. Ride your camel. Paul, having made these four points over the last four weeks or the first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians, challenges the people. Verse 1 in chapter 4, he says, we urge you. Now, in the Sunday school class I was in this morning, the word urge was in Scripture. We were in Timothy. Urge. Define the word urge is to try earnestly and persistently to persuade someone to do something. That's what you do when you urge somebody. You stay after them. But Paul goes on, he says, we urge you and we exhort you. Now, exhort is different. We exhort you to thoroughly encourage. I read this definition for exhort, to fill up with encouragement. And one definition of exhort means to give advice. So you would typically urge someone when they're not doing something. You're trying to get them to begin to do something. 
You would typically exhort someone when you felt, when they felt that they could not do something. You see the challenge, Paul saying, I'm doing two things. I'm urging you and I'm exhorting you all at the same time. When he urges you, he says, you must do this. You must do this. And when he exhorts you, he says, you can do this. Now, I love it when people can challenge me, not just to what I should do, but they can help me along the pathway of how to get it done. So even in urging and exhorting, Paul is setting you on a pathway. You must do this. You can do this. Look back at verse 1. Abound more and more. Now, it's, it's interesting in, in the way I try to slow down and read Scripture. That's why it takes me all week to get ready because I, I really just labor over some of the words a lot. But do you know in order to abound more and more, that you must first have abound? Well, yeah, that makes sense. Paul is saying you have abound. You have made a decision. Now, I just want you to, through the urging and the exhorting of this letter, Scripture, I want you to allow it to work more and more in your life. Do you know that you can't abound more and more if you've never abound? Right? If you don't know Jesus, you can't love him more until you know him first. If you're not serving Jesus, you can't serve him more until you serve him first. So we get this, and Paul is urging them, you must, exhorting them, you can, abound more and more. He says, keep it up, keep it up, stay on the path. And Paul lays out these stepping stones on this path that's leading us, remember verse 12, toward those who are outside. Verse 1, Paul says a lot. He says, you know how you ought to walk. Verse 1 also says, you know how to please God. Verse 2, he says, you know the commands from Jesus. You know, Paul talks about, he says, you guys know it all. You know the commands, you know how to please God, you know the, uh, the commandments, you know what you're supposed to do. You've got it all because, one, we taught you. You know. Church, do you know that rarely is abounding, rarely is moving on your pathway about not knowing I believe right now that you, whoever you are, wherever you are, whether you're online with us, on the phone with us, or in the room with us, I believe that you have a pretty good idea of what God wants you to do. I believe you know right from wrong. I believe you know God's expectations for us individually. I believe you know that. You know how you should walk how to please God. Paul is urging and exhorting them to abound more and more. Rarely is there an issue about knowing. Our main issue is about obeying. Will you choose to do the things that obey the commands? Will you do the things that please God? 
Will you do the things that you know? Our issue is not knowing. Our issue is doing what we already know to be true. And Paul goes on in verse 3 and he says, For this is the will of God. Now, just with a show of quick hands, how many of you just really desire to know God's will for your life? That's an override. Hardly anybody. Now, some of you go, Jeff, I don't raise my hands when you do stuff like that. I told you I was in the bookstore. Do you know book after book after book after book, conversation after conversation, we just want to know what God's will is for us. God, if you would just tell me what your will is. God, I don't want to know your will. God, I want to do your will. You know, God can tell you, but knowing and doing are two different things. But Scripture says right here, for this is the will of God. And you're going, man, we should all just pay attention right here. Get my highlighter out, my pencil out. If I'm going to take notes, this is it. Because Scripture's getting ready to tell me what the will of God is for me. We want to know that. We seek it. We pray for it. We ask for it. We question it. We do our own thing. We try different things. But here it is. Paul is getting ready to reveal to us, to reveal to you the will of God. And I believe that he makes this point in three related ways. He starts in verse 3 with, for this is the will of God. Well, when something starts, for this is the will of God, it can refer to what was just said. And I think that it's reasonable for us to understand the three things that Paul just pointed out in verse 1 and 2. Walking as you should, living to please God, allowing God to be that authority, following the commands of Jesus in your life. This is God's will for you. You know, it could be just that simple. We overcomplicate things a lot. But if you desire to please God, if you will allow him to be that authority in your life, and if you will walk, do the things that you're supposed to do, that's God's will. Pretty handy, huh? Not earth-shattering. It's pretty simple. But then Paul goes on and he says, not only this, looking backwards to those three things, look at what he says in verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, sanctification is a big church word that we learn, we love, and you should like, means to be set apart from. It means in its simplest form to allow God to make you more and more like Jesus. Sanctification begins the moment that you are saved. Sanctification is completed when you're glorified, standing before the Lord in heaven. And so this sanctification process is post-salvation, pre-glorification. It's called your life. And God says, it is what I want for you. I want you to be sanctified. I want you to be set apart. I want you to um, allow me to make you more and more like Jesus, my son and your savior. So it's interesting. This talks about walking, pleasing, and authority. That's the will of God for you. 
The will of God also is your sanctification. And this is where the triangle came to me, and I'm going, so how are we sanctified if that's what God wants in our lives? By walking, pleasing, and giving him authority. Paul is stating this, this, these three things, and your sanctification, they're all the same thing. And Paul just makes this point three different ways. Now, Paul makes a pretty hard turn here that if you're not careful, you can, it can lead us away, but I think he's trying to make a bigger point. In the last half of verse 3 through verse 10, Paul makes two statements, but I believe that Paul, by making these two statements, is actually seeking to make a singular point. Now, one of the beautiful things about being an expository preacher is that we pick a book and then we get it and we just run through it. And guess what? You don't get to pick and choose. When it shows up, it shows up. And in verse 3, second half, church, it shows up. Look at this. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Gotcha, Jeff. I'm with you that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Now, it's possible that Paul is just warning them using the phrase sexual immorality about sin in general. But not likely. Because he spends nearly six verses, 3b all the way through 10, talking about abstaining from sexual immorality in all of its forms. Also, note in verse 9, it says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write you. So it's interesting to talk about what the sexual immorality problem is in the church. Paul is saying, I don't need to tell you about how to love your brother, you see the word but there, but I don't need to write to you, which by default says, I had to write to you, must write to you about sexual immorality. You see how that fits in. Paul, he sort of tells them, this is not just a sin general topic. Church, this is a specific topic that Paul is looking to bring up. And I read this and I'm going, okay, say, Lord, you want us to, you want us to spend a moment on sexual immorality. It's right there. Verse 3b, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 all talk about it. So let's just talk about this for a second. Church, sexual immorality in any of its forms is clearly discussed in Scripture, and each of us likely know what it is already. Back to the knowing and doing part of our conversation. And Paul is bringing up what he believes is one of the greatest challenges in their lives. So just to get more specific, lust, pornography, premarital sex, extramarital sex, lewd conversations, jokes, harassment, sexting, flirting, you name it, all of it is wrong by God's command. Church, God's word is pretty clear. I could have went another way right now and spent the next three hours talking about what Scripture says, 
about sexual immorality, and you're going, Jeff, please tell us that that's not what you chose. It's not. Because what I believe Paul said to them in those verses, they knew exactly what he was talking about. And I believe that what Paul said in those verses, this church knows exactly what Paul is talking about. But what Paul is saying is that's a problem. You see, he's speaking to them about it because it is a problem that needs to be spoken about. Because this problem is pervasive today. It could even be touching someone in this room right now. Statistically speaking, it's not touching someone in this room right now. Statistically speaking, it is touching many someones in this room right now. And I just want to share with you that God loves you. He has a path for you. It is for you to allow him to be the authority, for you to walk pleasing to him and do what he says. And that any moment you're ready, you can get back on that path. And if you find yourself today in that challenging situation, I want to encourage you. Seek accountability. Turn to God. Repent and walk away from that. And I will, without judgment and hopefully with love, walk with you every single step of the way. Because see, that's what God wants for us. He wants to take us where we're not like him and make us where we're more like him. And that's why he's picking on sexual immorality. It was a problem then. And church, if we're honest, it's a problem now. Sexual immorality is the opposite of God's will for you. Verse 5 says actually that those who practice sexual immorality do not know God. Sexual immorality is the opposite of walking correctly, opposite of pleasing God, and the opposite of allowing God to be the authority in your life. Sexual immorality is the opposite of your sanctification. Sexual immorality takes you off the path of God. And if you're caught in it in any way, shape, or form, God is calling you today to repent and to turn to him. Now, that's just a little sermon within a sermon right there that Paul made to the church. And so I pray that that's received as the Lord intended it. I told you Paul was in these verses 3b through 10, but Paul was making um, two statements but a singular point. So we sort of made half a point. Verse 10, it says, but you do love your brothers and sisters in Christ well. Now, that's a summary that Jeff made there. You know, in our thinking, we tend to compartmentalize our lives. You know what that means, to compartmentalize your life. You know, I've got my work life in this box, and I've got my family life in this box, and I've got my hobby life in this box, and I've got my God life in this box, and every, all the boxes exist in my life, but they don't get a chance to intermingle with each other. We tend to compartmentalize sections and pieces and parts of our lives.
But that's not how God sees us. When God looks at you, he sees one person that he loves, that he sent his son for, that he desires to see saved, sanctified, and on the path to righteousness to be more like Jesus. Today, if you are you have portions of your life that are godly and then portions of your life that are not, and you think you're balancing between the two, it's not going to stay balanced for long because God doesn't see it balanced, nor will he, because of his love for you, allow you to remain imbalanced. But Paul says in verse 10, but we urge you. Again, there's that word. You must. Increase, Paul says. Paul is saying, not only you must, you should. He said, you can do better. You know, it'd be easy for us to right now, and I'm talking to myself more than anything. The only thing I can tell you is on Sunday mornings, you get about this much of it. I've been carrying this for 168 hours so far. I'm about ready to give in to God what he wants from me. You know what God wants from me? Every area of my life every step I make to be one that pleases him, every way on the pathway leading me toward sanctification, toward what he wants me to do. And ultimately, God wants to lead me toward others who are on the outside. Don't forget the final point that we made first. Sexual immorality and loving your brother cannot coexist. Paul says, he didn't say you're doing a good job. He said, I don't need to write to you about that. It's already clear. You know, just like Paul said, you know everything else. You know, the only thing that Paul has instructed them on is sexual immorality. Everything else, he says, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. He said, now I'm going to let you know about this problem. They're not compatible with each other. Think with me for a moment. Sometimes when I get in my car and I'm going to come visit you or I'm going someplace I haven't been before, I get in my, phone, I get in my car and my phone syncs up to my car. I go, hey, Siri. Oh, somebody's phone just came alive right then. You ever been in a conversation in your office or something like that and you're saying something that sounds like, hey, Siri, and she comes on? Somebody's phone may have just done that, sorry. But you say, hey, Siri, directions to, and you give her a location. Now, if you're in Bell Buckle, sometimes she goes, on it, on it. That means she has no internet. (laughs) But then she eventually will find you, and she'll give you directions to the place that you're going to go. And then if you're going and you make a wrong turn, whether that wrong turn is out of choice, I know better, or whether that wrong turn is out of mistake, I made a mistake, You know what she's going to do? Rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. Can I tell you that God's love for you is so thorough, his desire for you so clear, your knowledge of what he wants for you there, that when you get off the pathway of what he wants for you, the Holy Spirit, if you're saved, is going to be going rerouting, rerouting. And everything that Siri says to me in that car until I get back on the road is helping me get back on the road. Sometimes I just turn her off. And that's funny. It is. 
But sometimes that's what we do to God. We just go, would you please leave me alone? And you've had a choice. Paul's saying, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know. And he said, the sexual immorality, you got a problem. I want you to know how that fits into God's plan, and it doesn't. And before we make this just about sexual immorality, it's not. I believe in Scripture just like we did in our Sunday school class this morning. God usually picks out your biggest issue to see if you're willing to give him your biggest issue. And if you'll give God your biggest issue, it'll be easy for you to give him your second best issue, your third and your fourth. And before you know it, you've given it all to him. And you and God are no longer rerouting. You and God are on the pathway to where he's always wanted you to be. Today, perhaps the truth of God's word and the working of the Holy Spirit, you are now being convicted that you're not on the path that God wants for you. You're not walking as you should. You're not pleasing God as a matter of your desire, and you're not allowing Jesus to be the authority. You're not in God's will. You're hampering your sanctification. You're in the reroute mode. But if you will allow, the truth of God's word and the Holy Spirit not only will bring you to this realization that you are not on the path, but it will lead you right back to the path that you need to be on. Amen? Verse 11, Paul gives us three additional stepping stones to complete this path. Verse 11, aspire to lead a quiet life. Verse 11, mind your business. And when we hear that statement, we go, well, that's rude. I mean, if you come up to me today and after service and you go something, something, I go, mind your business. You're going to walk away from me and you may not see me for three or four weeks, not because I'm going anywhere. But you know what Paul is saying? Be about the business of God. Your business as a child of God is to please God, seek God, obey God. Paul says, mind your business. Live a quiet life. Verse 11, work hard. Now, we could talk a whole lot about those three things, but I think you understand that a quiet life is not one that says, I'm separated from everybody. A quiet life, as we discussed in Sunday school this morning, is a life that is settled on the peace, presence, provision, and purposes of God. You're not uncertain about who you are and what you should be doing. You've settled into a life that is quieted by the Spirit of God. You're minding your business. You get up and you go, I am to be about God's work today. And you work hard. Do you know that the world does not separate your claim to faith from your behavior? Think about that. The world doesn't separate it. When they see that your behavior does not jive with your words, they know it. They see that you're off the path. 
Church, it matters how you live. We ought to walk as you ought to. You ought to please God in your life. Allow Jesus to be the authority. Abstain from sexual immorality. Love your brothers. Lead a quiet life. Mind your business. Work hard. You see, every single one of those steps are helping you get to where God wants you to be. And where I believe God wants you ultimately to be as a person. Go back to verse 12. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside, comma, and, so there's two things, that you may lack nothing. If you will follow these pathways, these stepping stones that Paul has laid out for the church there, you will lack nothing. You will have everything God wants you to have, and you will be full, lacking nothing. That's a promise. But here's the cool part. If you will live that life the way God has purposed on the pathway that he has laid out, you will find yourself standing right in front of people on the outside. And if you live your life for God and you lack nothing because you follow these stepping stones and you find yourself right before the people on the outside, you'll care and you'll know what to do. You'll share. And then those that are on the outside will have the opportunity to step on the inside and be made right eternally because of Jesus. I've been watching. Uh, did I tell you we got the internet? So I've been watching stuff that I've not been... But I've sort of gotten caught up in watching these 100, 200-mile endurance race videos. Oh, my goodness, you got to be like crazy to want to do stuff like that. And I watch it and the determination that they find when everything goes wrong, when it'd be easier to quit. And I brought two quotes from yesterday. I stopped a video, went and got a piece of paper and wrote these two things down because they just floored me. They were talking to this young lady. She was running a 237 kilometer, still a long way, in Australia. And somebody said, during the race, what are you going to do next? Because see, when you're an ultra person, when you're an endurance person like that, Sometimes you're always thinking about what's next, right in the middle of what is. She says, I'm not worried about what's next. I've got what's now. God has you for now. Don't be so worried about tomorrow that you don't live now. And God has something for you to do but then here's the cool thing as it relates to the church. Another show, another person, this guy lives in France, but he made this statement. He's good, and he wins a lot. And he said, you can run fast alone. But if you're going to run far, you must have others with you. I Choose to run far. 
And I stopped it. I wrote that down. Because together, God has something for every single one of us. Right? I said that in the welcome. I'm saying it now. God has something. You know what happens when we walk together to please God, to honor God, to grow to God, to challenge each other on sin, to do all these things? You know what happens? Oh, my goodness. When the church lacks nothing, when the church lacks nothing, the community is hearing all about Jesus. The pathway. You're on one. Which way are you moving? What are you doing? But I'll tell you that God wants to lead you directly in front of people who need to know him. I think that's where I want to be. I hope you do. And church, you got choices to make. We've been all over the board in the last few minutes. There might be a challenge in your life that's taking you off course. Today, let's reroute. Today, you might not care that there are people who don't know Jesus. Today, you can begin to care. Whatever God's encouraging you to do, I pray that you'll do it now.